The most important question in the world isn't what do you want to do. It isn't where you want to go. It isn't how am I going to get there. The most important question in the world is who. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. I am home. Welcome home. This is my tribe. This is my tribe. So, my organization, Frazi Greenlight is a research institute for changing human behavior, particularly in the workplace. Just out of curiosity here, how many of you have someone's behavior in the workplace that you would like to change? Raise your hands. Are they sitting next to you? How many of you are self-aware enough to recognize that these individuals would say the same thing about you? Raise your hands. Beautiful. I have been blessed and honored with the ability to serve in the publications of a couple books. My first book, Never Eat Alone, gave me the opportunity and the right to be on stages like this to be of service. And this book fundamentally focused on redefinition of a word at the time that was even uncomfortable for me, called networking. That thing that those of us who may be introverts aren't particularly excited about. That thing that used to mean passing out business cards, right, and trying to figure out how to work a room. And that just wasn't me. For me, courageously, the aspiration was to be able to walk into a room and identify a set of individuals that I could authentically connect and bond with and to co-create extraordinary things together. And that was the basis of Never Eat Alone and the basis of the partnership when Vision invited me to create a masterclass and a quest around authentic relationship building and networking that I was just honored to be a part of this here. Now, you spin ahead almost 20 years, 15 years, and today we have to recognize that trying to get things done in organizations and trying to get things done in your life and building the movements of change that every single one of you should feel that it is your right to build in this world requires a level of leadership that really is core to you understanding what you want to achieve. What is that North Star mission that you want to achieve in your life? And then how do you enlist a network of individuals in to co-create greatness? How do you create a community around your movement in this world, whether that's inside of an organization or inside of a yoga studio? The power of an individual to be a leader of a movement is at the core the new book, Leading Without Authority. Leading Without Authority. And that transformation over those years has been so beautiful and transformative for me. But what's at the core of it is each of us awakening to realize of the power of the most important question in the world. The most important question in the world isn't what do you want to do? It isn't where you want to go. It isn't how am I going to get there? The most important question in the world is who? You can't get anywhere alone. And even if you thought that you could, why would you want to? 
The power of the world who is the power of your capacity to unleash dozens, thousands, perhaps millions of individuals to co-create extraordinary things around the movements that are important to us. The power of the word who is what we're going to be talking about today. Now, the importance of this word isn't just from the perspective of your movement from a business perspective or your movement from a social perspective, but the power of this word is the power of how you show up in all aspects of your life. This is one of my two boys. And on the left is when he came into our life, a bouncing baby 12-year-old, <laughs> a very long and protracted pregnancy. Just kidding. This young man came into our home in foster care after being a part of 12 families before ours at the age of 12. His older brother, Jerry, who's in the room somewhere, unfortunately, when he came into our home at 16, had, I think, been in probably closer to 20. What do you think that impressionable young face is saying? <laughs> By the way, I can't say out loud what that young face used to say. But what he would say in real words was, you will never be my father. He'd usually add an expletive before that. You will never be my blank father. But what was he really saying? First thing he was saying is, you are not going to hurt me like others did. By the way, have any of you ever seen that face on people you're trying to deal with? I think it's going to be an important conversation we're going to have because you can't always assume that the people that you are wanting to co-create with, the people that you are committing to love and to cherish and to be of service to, might not be receptive. But we have to have the compassion and the love for all humans in our path to achieving the extraordinary things that we're trying to achieve. I never had the right to step back and say to myself, well, when you become my son or when you act like my son, I will be your father. By the way, actually, I might have said that. But anyway, that's... <laughs> but the reality is that sometimes we have to go 99.9% .9 of the way to deepen and, and grow a relationship in service of a shared mission. My mission to be the best parent that I could to this young man was a commitment that I made to myself, my partner, God, my community. And what's powerful is the question of who became so important. Because his teachers, his coaches, his friends, they became members of my team. My active enlistment of a group of individuals in service of this young man was my responsibility to be a leader of these individuals, whether they knew it or not, to help in the transformation and the growth of this young man that I was parenting. Does this make sense to people? So the idea of the power of who isn't just a business idea, isn't just a social idea, it's actually a very deeply personal idea. Our ability to reach out and build the relationships that are going to achieve the happiness and the joy that we have, it's all about who and the people of who. Now, I learned a lot of this when I was a very young man. 
I grew up in Pittsburgh. My old man was an immigrant, Italian, unemployed steelworker most of my life. The steel industry was crumbling around us in the 70s in Pittsburgh. Plants were shut down. And my mom had to go become a cleaning lady. She did not want to do that. I had to go get a job. By the way, I went to the local country club and became a caddy carrying golf clubs. My mom made 20 bucks a day. And when I got out, I was making 20 bucks a day. I mean, that 20 bucks was important. Mind you, I would sit up there sometimes five days a week and never get a chance to to show up and, and be a caddy because it was hit or miss as to whether you got out. There was a lot of competition for those golfers and those precious little $20, 18 holes. But the ability to sit up there was an honor, and I needed that 20 bucks. Now, my pop used to say something to me as I was getting ready to go to the golf course. He says, hey, show up at the golf course half an hour early. I'm like, pop, there's no one there a half an hour early. If I show up on time, there's nobody there. It's not going to help. Then he'd start, show up at the golf course half an hour early. So when my pop started repeating himself, I knew I just had to shut up. I called it immigrant Tourette's. He'd just blurt shit out. (laughs) I would have nothing to do other than just, okay, uh, you're driving, so fine, I'll go. So I show up at the golf course half an hour early. I'm looking around. And what I noticed were little things. I noticed how the pins were placed on the green, which is where that flag is. And as a result, I would know if you were approaching the green, what club to use a little bit better. Was it at the front or the back of the green? I would actually see how the greens were cut. So I could read putts a little bit better, knowing what way the greens were cut in the morning. This information to me, I thought was just trivia. But interestingly enough, there was a woman named Mrs. Poland. She was the best golfer at the club best female golfer at the club, and she wanted to be the best golfer at the club. Of course, except for Arnie Palmer, who owned the club, so that probably wasn't going to (laughs) happen. And she played every single day. And one day, through the luck of the draw, I had Mrs. Pullen. And halfway around, she did something that made me uncomfortable. She started asking me personal questions. Now, by the way, this is not some Mrs. Robinson story, so don't... (laughs) We're not going there. Personal questions like, Keith, what do you want to do with your life? Keith, what do you want to do when you, when you grow up? What are your dreams? And I'm like, oh, please, just leave me alone. Let me do my job, creepy lady, right? <laughs> Bottom line is, I was afraid. Look, I needed that 20 bucks. I didn't want to do anything that was going to screw that up. The next day, Mrs. Poland asked for me again. And the following day, she asked for me again. All of a sudden, I'm now making exactly the same amount of money as my mom, bringing it home to the family. This was a big deal. And then she kept asking me these same questions again. And here I was, and so interestingly, and I've, I've reflected upon this in talking to my younger son, the very people that I knew at some degree in my heart and soul could have connected me to bigger and better things were the people that most intimidated me, were the people that I was most afraid to connect with. I just wanted to keep my head down and make my 20 bucks. I didn't want to run the risk of being rejected, to run the risk of looking foolish. I wanted to stay small, just like my son didn't want to accept the love that was being offered to him. He wanted to stay where he was comfortable. How many of us in this room know what it's like 
to want to stay where it's comfortable, even though it keeps us small and mediocre. Amen. But she beat me up. <laughs> Keith, damn it. I've asked you four days in a row what you want to do with your life. And I said, well, okay. But you're going to laugh. Because my dad says that if I work real hard and I study and I get good grades, that we can do anything in this country. That maybe someday I could run for president. And she didn't laugh. She said, you know, you could, and I'd vote for you. Little did we know that anybody could run for president, but it's like, <laughs> damn it. So a couple weeks later, she had the local congressman in her foursome. Congressman Murtha played 18 holes of golf with us, and around the time she had briefed him, and he coached me on ways in which, if I really wanted to serve in politics, things that I could do. He suggested I get involved in speech and debate. He opened his congressional library to me, personal library to me. He offered coaching to me, right? And I took him up on that, and I did everything he said. And as a result of his coaching and that introduction by Mrs. Poland, I ultimately won first place in the national speech and debate tournament in the United States, which allowed me my access to Yale University. Yeah. First kid in my community ever to approach that level of education. Now, why did they do it? Why did they do it? Now, by the way, I gave up the political right because unfortunately, Congressman Murtha got indicted a few months later. But anyway, <laughs> we'll just not talk about that. Why did they do it? They saw something in me. There was a lot of good kids up there. They saw themselves in me. Yeah, Mrs. Poling came from the other side of the tracks too, but I'll tell you something, and this is a crass reality. Soak this in for a moment. I took two strokes off of her golf score. <laughs> there are a lot of good people out there. Mrs. Poling paid attention to a young man who engaged with her in a more generous way than anybody else had. The reason, the reason she paid attention to me was because I showed up at the golf course a half an hour early. Between you and greatness, there's the question who. Between you and everything you dream of achieving in your entire life, there's the question who. And for you to achieve everything that you deserve, you've got to show up boldly, courageously, leading with generosity. And once you get people's attention, because you have showed up to be of service, you have showed up to make a difference, you have showed up for them, once you get people's attention, then you have a moment, a moment to solidify that relationship is authentic and not transactional by how you show up as you. You lead with generosity and you follow with vulnerability. The power of vulnerability is courageous. Many individuals feel that being vulnerable is weak. I think in this room we know otherwise. 
Being vulnerable is beautiful. Being vulnerable is courageous. But how do you do it? How do you authentically show up and open yourself? I created a word in our executive coaching that we do with executive teams that teams have to be porous. You know, porosity is the absorptive nature of something. This shirt is porous, right? Your skin is porous. Marble or glass is not as porous, absorptive. You've got to show up and open people to you. The key to openness is empathy. And the fastest path to empathy is vulnerability. When I came out here on this stage, I shared with you some of the struggles I had being a parent of two boys from the foster care system who I struggled with how to be a parent. I could not parent them as I, my father parented me. And I've got to tell you, I made so many mistakes and still make those mistakes. That story, exposure to you, creates a bit of an us. Because anybody in this room that may be a parent understands the struggle of parenting. I actually learned more about leading without authority from my boys than I learned from the corporate CEOs that I work with. Your belief and possibility to reach out and begin to enlist the relationships that matter to you, the predictor is your capacity to lead with generosity and follow with a level of authenticity that's truly you and vulnerable. With that, you gain permission to co-create extraordinary things. Now, I want you to get a taste of that. I want you to get a taste of that. Before I move from here into the more activated part of this dialogue between the two of us, because I'm going to leave today with each of you having a distinct plan, an action plan, what I call a relationship action plan around something that's important to you. And that'll be a good component of this talk. But before I do that, I want you to soak in the feeling of creating what I call instant intimacy. Instant intimacy. You've got to stop the small talk. I hate small talk. Anybody, anybody with me? I hate small talk. Let's go deep. No, no, no. Let's not go deep. Let's go deep, deep. The way you go deep, deep is first of all, and I'm going to make this easy for vision. Well, hello there. I'm going to make this easy for vision because I believe this beautiful set of individuals, which by the way, I have found out that there are every set of individuals I have ever met are a beautiful set of individuals just waiting to show up. You understand that? And that is my job as a leader of a group of individuals when I walk into a room to help people be their best selves as they show up. And that's what every one of you can do. So one of the things I want us to do today and tonight and tomorrow is to meet people in the hallway at coffee. And I want you to look at each other and say, hey, you want to check in? So you can walk up to anybody who's heard this talk and your ability to lead with just saying, hey, you want to check in? A check-in is really a simple invitation, and I'll give you one example of it, to check in professionally, personally, however you want. But I want you to check in around a simple construct called a sweet and sour. Sweet and sour. What's going on in your life right now that's most sweet? What's going on in your life right now that is most sour? It can be moments for you to be able to check in that way and dip in, going deep, deep. If I were doing a sweet and sour right now, the book I currently am coming out with, Leading Without Authority, has taken me six iterations. It is perhaps one of the most important works that I've done. It's the culmination of 20 years of experience with some of the most 
extraordinary transformation of organizations I've had, and I wanted to captivate what does it mean to be a leader in our lives today in this peripatetic, transformational, constantly moving and changing world? How do you lead through that, right? Leading without authority. And I rewrote it six times. There were times I was in tears having what I thought finished the book, but looked at it and said, it is not ready. And today it is ready. Today it is ready. I literally just got the first, my publisher sent me the first galley copy. This real book isn't even out, but I'm holding the first galley copy in my hands. I'm so excited. So that is very sweet. That is very sweet. Sour. That same young boy that you saw right now isn't talking to me. And we go through our ups and downs. And at the same time that I am so proud of Jerry and how he's showing up in my life today, my older boy, I am struggling with how to serve and have permission to serve my younger boy. I'm at a loss. And I just have to trust. So that's unfortunately my sour today. Sweet and sour. I want y'all agree that from going on, you're going to check in with each other on sweet and sour for this. Wouldn't it be fun just at the coffee hour? Hey, let's check in. No quick sweet and sour. Let's get some practice. In groups of two, no more than three, I want to give you a few minutes. Do a sweet and sour, authentic sweet and sour right now. But here's the most important thing. Stop worrying about what you're going to say. I want you only to be concerned with caring about what the other people are going to say. You're holding space. I want you to open porosity through your care and intimacy for the world. Show up as your best self right now, not spinning around in your insecure head, wondering how you're going to be judged or viewed. This is a loving, beautiful group of individuals, and you're going to make it so by trusting that the truth is going to be what you're sharing and what they're sharing, and you can't wait to hear them and set space for that. You get it? All right, amen. Sweet and sour, five minutes. Let's go for it. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So how was that? Yeah. Better than small talk? Can we make a pinky swear agreement that from here on in, no more small talk? All right. So from here on in, we're going to go deep. We're going to do check-ins. You can do that at a coffee moment. You can do that over dinner. I want you to learn how to go deep. I want you to learn how to go deep. How much courage does it bring to you when your focus isn't on what you're going to get out of somebody? Are they going to like me? How do I show up for them? But instead, your focus is, who are they? Right? How can I like them? I'm going to set the stage, be vulnerable myself, and invite people in to be their most authentic self so that they can show up for themselves. That's leadership. You understand? And that's your tipping point of creating a community, a community of power in service of that entire community. I created a word for it. Most organizations talk a lot about collaboration. I created a word called co-elevation. Co-elevation is a commitment, a shared commitment to a mission. That mission could be the growth of our boy. That mission could be the growth of a company, the redemption of a social condition, 
a strong mission, a commitment to a mission and each other. To be co-elevating is a commitment to a mission and each other. And that's what a team should be. And that's what a leader is, is the ability to create a co-elevating community around a shared mission. Now, Mrs. Poland had some bad habits. She smoked and she wanted to lose a lot of weight. She felt that her health was in jeopardy. And she would share that with me. By the way, Mrs. Poland became like a second mother to me. I called her mom. Her son became like my best friend. They took me on vacations with them. They got my parents' jobs. Extraordinary people. They're members of our church. And Mrs. Poland reached out to me, and she was confiding in me that she wanted to stop smoking. She wanted to eat less, and she wanted to go on a diet and all these wonderful things. And one day, she sent me to pick up her lunch at the halfway house. And it was a hamburger, a hot dog, Coca-Cola, and a pack of cigarettes. Because she had smoked almost a pack on the way around the first nine holes. And I showed up not with any of that. I showed up with a salad and a tab. You remember Diet Coke for old people? You remember that? <laughs> Drink this, get cancer. Anyway. Kills rats and doesn't taste good. Anyway. I was so scared. And I stood there in front of her with this meal. Oh my God, she was so angry. <laughs> Not because I didn't get her her meal, but because I think she thought I was making fun of her. And I sat there trembling, seeing the anger in her face. And then it softened, and she teared. And then she hugged me. What did she realize in that, what felt like hours? <laughs> what did she realize in that moment? I loved her. Now, when you love someone, when you care, when you invest, then you get permission for the two most powerful attributes of any relationship, candor and accountability. I cared about her. I was speaking truth. I loved her. I was holding her accountable. But it was on the foundation of the love. It was on foundation of care. Leaders who rest on positional authority or control by which that they communicate their wishes will never succeed in capturing the hearts and minds of a tribe. But those who show up with intimacy and generosity get the permission for candor and accountability. And we all deserve that in our lives. Do you realize when I wrote my second book, Who's Got Your Back? We did a study. 50% of Americans say that no one has their back. And of those who say that no one has their back, 60% were married. Does it surprise us based on the divorce rates that we have today? But in this case, what I want you to recognize is that all of your relationships deserve to be co-elevating. And it's a choice. It's a choice. I've been single for five years, and I am not going to step into my last relationship, and this next relationship, I pray, will be my last relationship until I have found my co-elevating soulmate. By the way, that is only a partial invitation for anybody here in the audience.
I will see you all on Instagram. So here's what I want us to think about in the last 12 minutes, and I don't have much time, so I want to run through this fast, but we've got, you know, Valley has been so generous to put together a free masterclass on this very topic, so I hope you'll join us both for the authentic relationships, but also for the work that we're doing around leading without authority. So we're going to have two great masterclasses for all of you in this room that we'll be giving away. But the first question I want you to ask yourself is this, the question of who. Who is your team? I want you to leave today with a mission. Whatever you want to achieve in this world, think of it, whether it's the growth of a healthy child or a grandchild, whether it's the success of your business, whether it's the movement of a mission, this beautiful woman in the front row that I know beautifully, she's transforming an entire country, God bless her, and she is the chief transformation officer of an entire country, and she is somebody that I've been talking about. How do we create that relationship action plan that is so crucial to move the country of Malaysia to where it could possibly be for its people. So who is your team is the first question. I call it a relationship action plan. And then, and then the most important thing you need to do is you need to reach out with that mission in mind, with that vision in mind, with that North Star of an idea. You're going to go and recruit people to their team. The first person you recruit to what you thought was your team, you're recruiting them to their team. The power of inviting another person to co-create, inviting another person for you to be of service to them and the creation of a shared mission of power to make a difference on this planet, to have a ripple effect because you both stood together, focused on something, right? You're inviting them into their team to what? To co-create, to co-create. You're not selling people in your idea. Your belief in diversity and inclusion, your belief in the ideation of multiple brilliant people coming together, creating something better than any one of you could have created by yourself, that belief system is the creation of your tribe, is the creation of your tribe. And then when you do, you need to be humble. You need to be the kind of individual, the kind of leader that constantly asks yourself, how do I get 30% better? You know, how do I get 30% better? Because I, as a leader, am humbled by how much transformation is still within me to achieve the greatness that I'm here for. And as a result of that belief, you can invite others to journey, to co-develop with you, to co-create and co-elevate. Going higher together is your promise as a leader. Why are they joining their team with you? Not only to achieve the mission, so that they can elevate. And you're co-elevating together as a tribe. But it requires the leader to lead with humility. It requires the leader to lead with a belief that they are needing to transform themselves in this process with an open verbal invitation for others to do the same. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but candor is so important. Conflict avoidance kills marriages and it kills companies. You have to have the courage of truth. Now, as a leader, you've got to lay the psychological underpinning, the the psychological safety required for truth. But then you've got to stand on that and be courageous and bold. You've got to say the things that are risky. One of the questions, we do a diagnostic for executive teams, and one of the questions I ask is, can people say the most courageous things even when it's risky to do so out loud in this room? On a scale of zero to five, most corporations start at a two. Not a surprise. How many of you have been in meetings when 
you know the truth that's in people's heads and then the conversation starts when we leave the room. That cowardice is unaffordable if your mission is important. The power of candor. I hear victim mindsets constantly. There couldn't be anything more opposite a Mind Valley mindset than a victim mindset versus the growth mindset, the victim mindset, the belief that other people are holding back. Damn it, that is absolutely not true. Nothing holds you back. Nothing holds you back. Your ability to step out into the world to create a tribe that won't let you fail, that will fortify you, right? That will make you bulletproof because of the love, the support, the celebration, the empathy, the ideation. You are an impenetrable fortress of greatness and goodness and power with your tribe. And once you've created that, there is absolutely no holding you back. Damn it, you will never be a victim with a tribe. That is so important. And yet we sit there and say, I don't have the right upbringing. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough opportunities. I have this blot on my past. These excuses keep us small. That fear that allows us to create these excuses keep us small. And then once we have a tribe, we can begin to let go of the concern for leading that tribe because the tribe leads the tribe. If you've introduced co-elevation into the tribe and you've verbalized that co-elevation is our means, then your tribe coaches each other. The role of a leader and the role of a manager today in any forum, family or otherwise, is to unleash the belief that we're all here to grow each other. And if we're all here to grow each other, candor and feedback and coaching is abundant. It's sitting around us every single day. So as a leader, it's no longer hub and spoke to you. It's every individual has the capacity to lift each other up. And your job as a leader is to get your tribe to recognize that. It's a new contract. Leadership of the past went through you. Leadership of the future is served by you. Leadership of the future is served by you. Look, I say that it's all so important that you leverage the tribe. But what's most important is that you recognize that all of this is within your manifestation. I have a phrase, and it sounds lonely, it's not. But the phrase is, it's all on you. The life that you want is within your hands. The life that you want is within the, your ability at this coffee hour to embrace the people around you in more powerful ways than you ever have before. And that first step is all on you. And if you happen to meet somebody with that face of that beautiful young man that is my son at that age, saying whatever they're saying to you, it's still all on you to recognize that you do not have permission to be indulgent and triggered and angry. You need to serve. You need to serve your mission and serve your tribe. It's all on you. And once you recognize that, the power is in your hands. Nothing can hold you back. So a few years ago, my mom said to me, Keith, I've been watching your talks on YouTube. My mom and I have an amazing relationship. By the way, she's uh, 87 now, and she's doing so beautifully. I got her a physical trainer to come to her house two times a week. By the way, in Pittsburgh, that's 20 bucks, which is great. (laughs) 
and you just follow me and her on Instagram. I'm so excited about her. When she lost my sister, her daughter, a few years ago, I started to see her slide. And I made a double-down commitment to make sure that the life in my mother was her choice as well, to continue to be bold and to move forward despite the loss of, of her daughter. But anyway, she called me and she said, I see all of your talks on YouTube. You talk a lot about your dad. I'm like, okay, I get it. A few years ago when I was preparing to write Who's Got Your Back, I remembered my mother had a group of ladies that used to come over to the house every once in a while. All I remembered was when they came over to the house, my dad and I got kicked out. <laughs> and she would leave every month to go to this group of ladies. And I said, Mom, tell me again, what was that group of ladies? She goes, oh, the card club girls. <laughs> yeah, the card club girls. Tell me about the card club girls. Tell me what was the importance, the power of the card club girls for you. And that's them at the bottom. By the way, unfortunately, now there's only three left. My mom says that they have to change card games every time one of them dies. And one of these days, there's going to be one of them sitting and playing solitaire, thinking about the rest. <laughs> But that group of ladies, according to my mom, my mom said, you know, when your dad was unemployed, that group of ladies used to cook extra and bring down food so that I could pretend, this is her speaking, so that I could pretend to be able to put and stretch a nickel so that we didn't have to eat welfare cheese. You know? When your aunt died, we didn't cancel card club. We sat on her bed two days before she passed of cancer and said goodbye and played cards with her. And she said, when your dad died, I didn't want to leave the house for months. And that group of ladies made sure that I got out of the house every single day until I wanted to get out of the house. When I heard that story, when I heard that story, I knew something. And that is, I knew that I was so blessed that she had that, but I knew I didn't. And it set a path for me to start to redefine the relationships in my life, to set a new standard of co-elevation like my mother had with that group of ladies, and to build that kind of tribe in my life. And then I realized as an entrepreneur, I was not building it in my company. Today, I just hired two amazing chief marketing officers in my organization who, unthinkable to anybody else. I put them both in the same job because they are extraordinary and abundant. And Dylan is right here. He's one of them. They are extraordinary. They are abundant. And I said to them, you're in the same job. Co-elevate. Read the book. <laughs> <laughs> It's eminently possible to share in that beautiful way in all parts of our life. And I want that for you. I want each of you to have a hurdle starting today of the person that you look at and realizing you're going to go deep, you're going to really check in, you're going to invite people in, even if it's in a moment, because outside of that moment might be possibility of finding an individual that you're going to co-create extraordinary things with in your life as a business partner, as a partner in your philanthropy, as a life and soul partner. Co-elevation should be your bar, should be your bar for all relationships in your life as it has become in mine. And I have to tell you, With that commitment, that's how I found vision in the Mind Valley community. I said it originally, I'm home here. This is a group of abundant, beautiful individuals that I can't wait to co-create extraordinary things with.
and I am so honored and so blessed, so blessed to be a part of and to serve this tribe, and I wish it for you. I wish you to really feel that you deserve to be here. You deserve to co-elevate with this extraordinary, beautiful group of individuals here. And it starts now. Amen. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.